This is your host, Greg Fenton. You are listening to Mediation Station. Each week we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to support the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA, 1610AM, and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show here on uh, CHHA, 1610AM, each week at SoundCloud.com and also iTunes under Podcasts in the Arts Area. Please follow us at our Twitter account, which is at Fenton Mediation. Tonight our topic is uh, called Transforming Our Social Services. Investing in community-based mediation with my friend, I believe. It's fair to say. I don't know. They've been going off. And, uh, I think it's the, fair to say. It's fair to say. Yeah. The, the voice is coming from somewhere. <laughs> Rod Eric Southwell. So tonight, if you want to call in, and I haven't said that in a while, <laughs> you can do so. The number to call in is 416-785-0680. That can happen because Rod Eric's here live and in person. Yeah, I think I think the last time I was tying up your phone lines so so people can call in, but now that I'm in studio, this this opens up this possibility, right? Yes, and you know I really one I appreciate the live engagement that we have no in person this way. Yeah. We can feed off each other's energy and body language and go forward. Well, you know, Greg, you have a plexiglass between us, so that that helps. In, in terms of what? <laughs> Just keeping the distance? I feel like I'm at the grocery store. <laughs> well, that, that's just the nature of I'm in the control room and you're in the studio. Indeed. That's part of the uh, just the always reality here. Mm -hmm. It's been a reality because of COVID yeah. that we haven't had anybody in person here for the last number of months. Yeah. You think you were ahead of your time with, with you know the separation <clears throat> there. That's what I'm, I'm trying to give you, trying to big you up. Yeah. I appreciate that. Okay. You know, anything I can... Yeah, because in the, it, it, up until this week, because you're the first person back, and mm. I really appreciate you doing this, it's that I've been, been here alone. Mm. So I look into the studio, the and there's nobody there. Yeah. So you got to use your imagination, because the person, yeah. if you wouldn't come tonight, you'd be calling in, as you did when you were last year in the end of May. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's a different kind of engagement. Well, I'm glad that you, you want to look out into the studio and see myself, and thank yeah. you for having me here. <laughs> see a live in move, mo motion person. That I was the first person you, you thought of when you're like, who should I see? Who could I see? Hmm. Yeah. He's, he's not bad on the eyes. So I'll, I'll take him. Yeah, and I'm just going to put it out there, too, for the radio elf, mm, Elfie. Yeah. You know, she the last time she was here yeah. was the end of May mm -hmm. on the time that you were with us. As a visitor, yeah. though you called in. Mm -hmm. So she came that night yeah. thinking that she'd see you in person. Yeah. And she, you know, she was whatever and had to hear you, but not see you. Yeah. Now it's the opposite. Yeah. You're here mm -hmm. and she's not showing up. I think she heard I was coming and she said, not this time. She's not again. I, you know, I, there, there might be a conflict there, Greg. You may have to mediate this one. Uh, well, if you're open to that, that's okay. I'll, I'll do that. I'm a willing participant. Yeah. All right. So we'll put Joan. Yeah. Joni on the spot there, Elfie. Joni, forgive me. 
um, please come back and I'll definitely attend your Jade session next time if you forgive me. So, Well, the, you put that little shout out there. There's one yeah. this Wednesday night. Yeah, we had this a mediation practice session Wednesday night. Uh, I don't have the exact time now. I'll figure Six, that out. Six thirty the night. She should call in. I think. I think she should call in and unplug her 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 uh, practice session. And, and for those who don't know, Jade is just a way that us people in the practice we kind of sharpen our skills and learn something new from uh, an expert in the field. Yeah, and this coming week, the person is yeah. Lynn Katzman, hmm. who I have a strong connection with from his also. history with community mediation, oh. which is really our focus tonight. Yeah. Lynn was a former volunteer with me at uh, Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview up on Eddystone in uh, Jane Finch area. Mm, shout out to Jane Finch. Absolutely. Yeah. Part of my part of my heart. Uh-huh. So it's like a it's it's a nice Yeah, so it sounds like it's going to be a nice reunion there on Wednesday and um you're looking forward to to seeing your mentee. Well, no, they're a volunteer, but you know, someone that you've helped along the way and seeing what they're up to now and witness them in all their glory i'll be sitting up in the boonies the yeah. cheap seats as an observer <laughs> the virtual cheap seats <laughs> yeah the virtual seats so how about you you know what's your interest in general in in terms of when i say community my you know i i think my interest in community is is misplaced it's actually an interest in people's well-being and um just quality of life there's there's some people you should, should look out there for something called Rosetto Effect. If you've ever heard of it, it's Google it. It is where there's a tight-knit community, Italian-American community, that is multi-generational, and they've seen, like, no crime, uh, like higher rates of, of health, you know, and, and, they realize, and they kind of realize that part of the reason why the health was more improved and, you know, people, like, there was less crime and everything, and although the people smoked and they drank and like, like regular, like other communities, but the fact that they were a very tight knit community. And I think I grew up in one of those types of communities and my grandmother is 95. And I think to part of the reason I owe my <laughs> relative success to is just coming from a very tight knit close community. And I, so I think overall, I realize that if we want to improve our, our you know, well-being, one of the answers to that definitely is by improving your community. So what do you see as being some of those lived realities that people have or experience within the community that would be best to be supported and assisted in some way? Yeah, I think, I think in terms of reality, we, we people, anyone who's ever gone through any kind of appearance change, what they, they realize is that people treat you differently based on how you look. Right. So mm -hmm. if you know, and like, I'm sure you know someone like how I know people who they've gone like from blonde to like brunette and back and they realize that there is a different, you know, type of attention that they receive in public um, whenever they make that switch. And one of my good friends, he did something similar. He grew some dreadlocks and I would go to the club with him. I remember going out with him before the locks. And I remember going out with him after the locks. And when we went out after the locks, like he didn't even have to speak. Like woman would just come up to him and just like offer their number. Just like say like, hey, you're beautiful. One time someone came up to him, caressed his face in the club and said, you are beautiful. 
you know, so it's, it's, you can get positive attention in some ways based on that, and that could be your reality. But another part of that reality, you know, fast forward that same friend, uh, two years later, he was applying for a bank job. And I think he quickly realized that, he, you know, he might have to change his appearance. So he did. He cut his hair. And he's actually, you know, people actually told him, like, you wouldn't have gotten this job if you, had, if you came in here with locks. So, yeah, I think it's sometimes we think that experiences that other people have, we don't, because we don't have those experiences, we don't think they're real, right? But I think it's just a nice reminder that the world treats you in a particular way based on how you look all the time, right? Whether it's a hairstyle. Your skin mm-hmm. tone, mm-hmm. Your, your, whatever, whatever your, it is. Your accent, your quotes, accent, yeah, yeah. The way we look, what we wear, mm-hmm. how we behave, you know, all the stuff that I would look at as saying, yeah, it's superficial, yeah, it's on the surface, yeah. It's not what the person is really about per se, though. Of course, we do take from our internal, mm-hmm. and you know, if your friend wanted to wear the dreads. Mm-hmm. That's part of something internal. I think he was presenting as part yeah. of how we wanted to identify yeah he's you know you, you go through a uh, period in your you know late teens early 20s where you're young and you're expressing yourself based on different um looks right and these things may mean something to you then or mean not not much right it's just a phase that you kind of go through and hopefully those those things don't have any negative repercussions that are life-changing right well we know that uh that's an ideal. The reality <laughs> is, is that uh, people do judge, make assumptions based on the exterior, the superficial. Do they? Really? I don't know. You know, for sure. Absolutely. Yes, you're I right. I know you're, you're playing with me, and I'm going to play with you too <laughs> okay. at some point. <laughs> so, you know. This is my attempt at sarcasm. Yeah. Well, that, that's okay, because yeah. people have to be, I think, provoked, hmm. agitated in some way. And, you know, we talk about... And this, tonight's topic's not necessarily about systemic racism. It is a reality that many lived experiences of people of community. Mm-hmm. And so when in you, you talked about it just a minute ago, mm-hmm. where if we don't experience something, we don't give it credibility or legitimacy. Yeah, I think we, we don't consider, you know, we don't validate other people's experiences enough. And I think that's something that we learn when, you know, as we're training or learning mediation is that we can still validate someone's experiences and their opinions, even though they differ from us, or even though we may not um, necessarily believe them at first, right? We may not internalize it in that same way that person has doesn't mean that it's not something that is true. Well, you know, mediation per se is not about truth. It's about people's lived experiences. Mm -hmm. And so as a mediator or a third party, mm-hmm. you're not there to take ownership of other people's lived experiences. Yeah. You're there to help them connect with their lived experiences and, and the how they've person. been impacted, especially in, in context to another person. Mm-hmm. And so it's for them to express from their own point of view. It's about self-determination. Yeah. And we take ownership of a process to help them connect with their own self-determination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's where the power is when individuals can exercise their truth yeah. in relation or in contact to someone else. And that other person can also express their truth. Mm-hmm. And then from that, because, you know, we don't deal with facts. <laughs> the law is about facts. You know, it's funny. I remember uh, I read something the other day that said 
before the internet, we used to have debates about what was true. And the winner was really the person who was the best at debating. Because we couldn't really, you know, you didn't have a fact, a fact checker around you to kind of... And, mm -hmm. you know, now we, we do have those, but I think now we debate on meaning. Like, it's no longer whether this thing is true or not. Is this thing that happens, is it meaningful? You know, and, and how is it meaningful? That's one of the mo that's one of the things I thought about the other day when, you know, because I remember those, con I'm old enough to remember conversations before internet, before we can just pick out our phone and say, hey, you know, what is, how many states are in the U.S.? You know, something like that. So, so what are the things you value? In terms of people? Um, the people I value, they tend to be individuals who think, who think about others, right? Think about doing, um, especially think about what's good. And, by, you know, alternatively, I, I tend to not value as much <laughs> individuals who think about themselves first. And I think you see that in the decision-making process. Some individuals, they think, all right, how, what is the right thing to do? And even though the right thing to do for them may be different from, from you, you, I always feel like those people who think about that, doing the right thing first, will eventually get to a point where they can have cohesion with someone else. I think it's much harder when individuals are thinking about, okay, what do I get out of this first? Um, or how is this going to benefit me? Or you know, And you know, there's, there's studies and research out there that shows that people who are givers tend to go further in life than people who are takers, right? Like takers might win momentarily, but in the long run, it's the givers who find a way to offer value to someone else. And those have always, you know, I've always kind of looked to those people with some sort of reverence and yeah. And that's something that you are seeking or looking to strive toward? Never look. I have like I have friends, Greg. I have, I think, no, I mean it's for you. Oh, myself. For yourself. Hmm. I think I. I think if you ask people around me, they might say I'm there already. But who knows? You know, I. I. I, I try when I you know as yeah. much as possible. What do you think, Greg? About you, per yeah. se? Am I a giver or a taker? Well, personally, you're here because I really value you. Okay. As an individual. I formed that kind of context when I first met you, okay. and that's through the Certificate and Dispute mm -hmm. Resolution. We're not going to do free advertising for them, no, per no, se, no, no. though you know, if they want to give some kind of contribution here, that's fine. <laughs> At the same time, th that's where I connected with you, and I felt a, a value of you with me, and it aligned with some of the things that I value mm -hmm. in individuals, and that you are a person that seeks to help others to help themselves. It's funny. So it sounds like initially you were saying that you were the giver, and you're like, "I just gave this guy an opportunity," and he's like, "Oh, I, you know, if he if he wants to take it." <laughs> well, you know, it's up. I, I so good at you, Greg. You're a giver. <laughs> I totally believe in self determination, mm -hmm. and the process of whatever practice I do is about creating the space, creating the conditions for people to take ownership on how they want to connect with that and what they want to do with that. Mm -hmm. I really value about reflection questioning oneself and context to another yeah and not looking to answer for other people help them connect for themselves with what they ideally want to do because they're the ones that are gonna be needing to follow through with it indeed not me 
Yeah, self-determination is powerful. And um, thank you again, if I haven't thanked you enough for, for all of the opportunities that you've given and, wise, and wisdom and mentorship that you've given me throughout the years. You know, that's okay. I know you don't do wealth compliments, neither do I. No, no. So we can move on. <laughs> yeah, we, we can, and I'll cut this out for the, when they edit the show. Okay. Uh, so how do people benefit from opportunity, from, you know, from having an opportunity to deal with challenges in their lives? Because people do constantly have these struggles. Yeah. I think there's immense benefit to being able to handle, I mean, you just talked about self-determination, right? To be able to handle difficulties and conflicts that they that you engage with. I think for one, it, it helps you to manage future conflicts, right? It helps you to, to um, heal and, and to hopefully uh, rectify the current conflict that you're in, right? And I think there's opportunities like we always say, like every conflict is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to learn something new about other people, learn something new about yourself, also to improve a relationship, as, you know, that may be strenuous mm -hmm. at times. And yeah. I think sometimes we just don't understand other people's perspective enough. So once we have that ability and opportunity to to work at that conflict our, ourselves or with the guidance of of trained professionals then we, we can learn a lot. We can find a lot of great things. And mediation is one of those areas where you see that often. Well, I think, you know, traditionally people see differences as barriers, mm. obstacles. What's about me that's different about them mm -hmm. that we cannot get along? We just mm. cannot function. And they see it through a negative lens. Mm. Problems, positions, impasse, barriers. And the idea is to transform that mindset with skills that instead of seeing differences barriers you revisit that and reframe it as opportunities as you said yeah and i think some sometimes if you you might see a difference as a threat to to you right like the things that you value and the things that are very in line with you, who you are i have been trained to look at differences as opportunities right and yeah i think I, anytime I meet someone who's doing something I think is interesting and especially that's different I try to pick their brain and find out like what is it that they're doing that makes them take yeah. that you know unpack that and get them yeah. to reflect on that so yeah. how's that working for you in some way it's good I think I've learned a lot about you in the first half an hour that we've been here before we even got on on, on the air do you think I have you know I learned about your new endeavors that you're doing and all those things and they're very different from mine but and I won't sh share them over the ear. However, you know, you wouldn't learn that if I was if I just said, oh, you know, Greg, he's he's a little different than me. You know, he's 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 much smarter than I am. He's much he's a much better mediator than I am. And you know, so Th this is this of... is not about putting that kind of oh presentation out there. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's, am I, let's, am let's... I misrepresenting <clears throat> you, Greg? Yeah. Okay. All right. <clears throat> let's, let's work together. Let's collaborate together. All right. Come let's, on. Let's do that. Okay. At the same time, let's provoke and challenge and agitate for change because one of the intentions of uh, the program itself and my purpose is about social change, creating mm -hmm. positive social change because there are systemic barriers that Indeed. are not inclusive. I don't have to tell you that. I'm expressing that mm -hmm. because you have your own lived experiences. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And I'm not taking ownership for that. I appreciate so, it. So what are some of the traditional or mainstream, as we'll call it, ways that people tend to deal with negative conflict experiences so typically when we have differences and conflicts we are like something as small as um 
as small as seeing a bird watcher that you're threatened by or as big as a uh, home invasion. You mean we're talking about that New York City incident? Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, right. it gets, but, you know, you see that it, and people, it's, their typical response is to call the police, mm-hmm. right? Or let's even, let's even go back from that is just to call 911, right? To dispatch some sort of help, right? Yeah. Which is typically the police, police. right? Yeah. So I think we, we've all, it's, you know, and, and I think the marketing for, you know, Dow 911 has been fantastic. I remember from my childhood seeing those, those ads, and I think we've all were trained in that way. But I think now sometimes we use it for things that are not just illegal, but just uncomfortable. And, you know, there's, there's a, that overuse of some, some of those services. So I think that's the traditional way, right? I, if, you know, what do you think? I think that's one of them. Yeah. You know, I've identified four traditional ways. Let me hear them. That's... So one of them is what you've said. Yeah. So when people have these tensions with neighbors or mm-hmm. somebody, they dial 911. Mm-hmm. So the police are to come and rescue them yeah. from the situation that they are having problems trying to deal with. Mm-hmm. Another of these four traditional ways is going to court, oh, yes. suing somebody. Yep. Okay. You know what? You're a, yeah. and I'm going to get you because I'm right and you're wrong. So mm-hmm. I'm going to sue you. Another traditional way is the avoidance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's a it's a manner of dealing with conflict, conflict negative yeah. conflict. Mm-hmm. It may, it's not productive. I didn't, and I'm not saying that these are the productive ways. Mm-hmm. These are the traditional ways that I've identified. Mm-hmm. And many times with uh, avoidance, the situation actually tends to get worse. Yes, more yeah. problematic. Yeah, gets more entrenched. And then the fourth is you try and deal with it on your own. Mm-hmm. Not having the necessary skill sets per se, mm-hmm. and it actually may make the situation worse. Yeah. So, <clears throat> I remember from my community mediation days mm-hmm. at uh, Conflict Mediation Services of Downsview. It doesn't exist anymore. Is that a plug? Oh, that doesn't. No, exist they anymore. don't. I wish Never they did mind. because that's where my passion is. I see. We can create one. Well, we'll, ta- we'll talk later. We'll ta- <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> so up in Jean and Finch, yeah. on Eddystone, it was located there for years, and. We used, I used to go out and get uh, also some other people, go to the different police divisions mm-hmm. and also the training college, it was called CO BIC. Mm-hmm. And we did presentations, education pieces, trainings to the 911 officers. They would always go to the, the um, training college because they have to get updated on new laws. Mm-hmm. And we would do a presentation on our service to see how it could collaborate and assist the police with their service because their service is focused on criminality. Yes. The community-based approach of working with people Mm -hmm. is not on criminality. It's based on people living their lives. And at times they come into, they butt heads. Yeah. So it was to inform the police that, hey, there are these situations where you don't have to identify them as criminal. You won't identify them as criminal. In fact, you'll probably call them nuisance, <laughs> petty stuff. Mm-hmm. The thing is, if you avoid them, they might continue yeah. and they get worse. And then it might go Become into the criminal. criminal. Yeah. And so this is to say, hey, as a service, here are our business cards, our outreach cards. Mm-hmm. You contact the parties, the neighbors, and say, hey, we don't deal with this because it's not through our threshold, yeah. our, our mandate. Go contact these people. Yeah. And so that was the intention to try to shift some of the 
those calls yeah. to be channeled through a more holistic approach to dealing with matters. And I've met officers who appreciate that. I, I remember years ago I was on this um, panel, uh, community panel in um, in my municipality, and they were talking about like you know c- community involvement and then bettering things. And there was an officer, a South Asian officer, who was who was there. And he said, you know, it was just funny. He's, he's, I'm in my 20s, mid-20s. He looks around my age, so he's probably like maybe late 20s, early 30s. But, so the point is that he's a young guy. And he said, I don't want to have to deal with calls about mental health. It's like, that's not why I got into policing. And, you know, around that time was the whole conversation about community policing and everything. And I realized that, wow, like it's, that's, if that's not something you want to deal with, but... You know, I know these other groups, individuals, these mediators and other trained individuals who are equipped with dealing with those things. And that is actually why they've went to school. They want to deal with those kind of things. Maybe we can diversify those services. Right. And by doing that, allow you to kind of do the things you more want to do, like, you know, cap- you know, capture bad guys and allow, you know, other services to deal with some of the more pressing or, or less pressing, I should say, uh, matters that are not as escalated right that, that don't require a badge or a gun and those things well like, like when the police would respond to a 911 call yeah and if they don't have the uh the mindset and the tools and the skills mm-hmm. to deal with it it becomes problematic yeah and problematic and what i would say is for the person who's the object of their attention mm-hmm. because the police deal with it the way they're trained to deal with it. Yeah. And it's not always the best way, per se, for mental health. Yeah. And I remember doing these uh, presentations, as I mentioned, at CO BIC. And before us, the presentation was from Gerstein Crisis Center. Mm. Always the same. Uh, them and then us. They deal with mental health crisis, trauma. Mm-hmm. And so it was trying to educate the officers. When you come across situations that you're not necessarily equipped to deal with, refer it to something else, yeah. another service that is better equipped and focused to do that. Yeah. There's there's just so many there's so many out there. I, I when you once you're in this world you kind of you know all the different services. And I remember when I was volunteering at an organization that dealt with crisis um, mental health and suicide prevention and we used to get dispatched by EMS when people were like when they were you know heading to a call but for us to keep talking to the person to kind of de-escalate them um while the the ambulance arrives right so i think looking at something like that i'm like that could be a practice that we could use in different these different ways right like why why contain ourselves in this swimming pool of ideas why i'm just like why, why look outside the, the box man. yeah this, 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 the lake is so full of different you know possibilities possibilities let's explore that yeah. yeah, and I, I, I remember having a conversation with uh, the training sergeant about how we could try to, you know, uh, get training for officers more specific on conflict resolution skill sets. Mm-hmm. And, like, the system at that time, and we're talking, like, from 2003 to 2009 mm-hmm. when I was with the community mediation stuff directly as the coordinator that there was okay it goes in one year and then out the other year though him him himself Mm -hmm. he was more prone but 
the hierarchy was not necessarily yeah. receptive to that kind of message. Yeah, we're trying to put these square pegs into round holes, right? I think it, no matter what it is, there is a culture that's there within policing, and I think it's sometimes international. Like it's not just in the particular area that these are maybe not the type of cases when it comes to mental health and like you said, nu nuisances that they're the best equipped to deal with and maybe they also don't want to deal with and um, which you can you have the right to know if you might do a job where there's a particular task that you don't love to do you know, I think that the downside is at times where when some of these encounters can become lethal now right? Yeah, and the idea was that if the officers showed up and they said, hey, it hasn't reached the threshold with us. Mm -hmm. We're not going to charge anybody because it hasn't gone yeah. to that level. And then you leave the officers. Mm -hmm. That doesn't leave the individuals who are experiencing this kind of tension with each other, these struggles, with any resource or option. Yeah. And so the idea was that, hey, this is a referral option. Yeah. Let's put yourself in the, the position of the person who's just called you know, the police for help. And they're like, hey, we can't do anything. Yeah. You're thinking now they, they cannot help me. I have to take matters into my own hands. So it comes to one of the four things you talked about, mm -hmm. where you try to deal with the situation, the conflict, and you don't have the skills. the skills or the tools to deal with the conflict. Yeah, and that can most likely will escalate. escalate and deteriorate. Yeah, yeah, and uh, or they'll you call bylaw. Mm -hmm. Bylaw comes in and they say, hey, maybe it's not our area either. Yeah, or nevertheless. My question to ask you, how do you, how effective do you feel are these mainstream or traditional ways of dealing with the negative conflict stuff? Yeah, you know, I think we've, we've, as we're talking, we realize that you've came to this conclusion years ago. I came to this conclusion um, maybe five years ago that it's probably not the most effective. And I think right now we're in a situation where the world is coming to that realization that maybe some of the ways that we've traditionally done things and institutions have done things aren't the best um, ways to do, to do things. Maybe we need to find alternatives, right? And that, that conversation is happening now in, in a way that five years ago, I, I would never thought the conversation would happen, right? It's, I would have thought that you just keep applying for grants <laughs> and one day, or you make the right connections with someone in government and one day um, those things will happen. So I think uh, the, the, now that things are in mainstream in, in those kind of conversations, it's not just people who are in these kind of fields like us. Um, it it may happen, but it's, you know, I think I don't need to say it hasn't been very effective because we have data, right? Yeah, at the same and time. We have headlines. And you're an individual and you, mm -hmm. you experience things and you see other people experience. And you know from your own experiences of that how meaningful or productive those traditional ways of doing things yeah. is and is not. Or yeah. are or are not. Yeah. Well, I know there are, there are definitely consequences when, especially when it doesn't happen correctly, and there. Are, what do you mean by that? With consequences? There's, you know, with anything, there's there's the intended and there's the unintended consequence, right? So, I think to what you what you realize too by and, and I, from volunteering, I, I'm speaking with different, you know officers I, I kind of I realize that there are under some certain pressures and one of those pressures is time right a specific time to kind of de-escalate and declare a situation and sometimes the easiest way to deal with certain situations is by force right because to gain compliance and then you can actually you know reason 
And what we work with, tend, we tend to work with, we don't tend to work with the same constraints of time. So we can take our time to speak to someone, to ask questions, to probe more and figure out, okay, what are the, figure out what the roots of the conflict are, right? Or what are the perspectives of each individual to kind of sort those things out. And that is a luxury that we have. We may not realize, we may not realize it's a luxury, but it's a luxury that we have that other professions who traditionally deal with this don't have. Well, I think and, part of what yeah. I'm hearing from you too is that these traditional ways of doing things are a construct. Mm -hmm. They're organized a certain way with certain protocols and process that when people are touched in some way with that service, mm -hmm. the individuals must adapt to the service. So it's focused on the surface, the service itself. Mm. Whereas what you're talking about, what I'm hearing, and what I believe you support and I do, is about being client-centric, yeah. adapting to the individuals and accommodating for their realities yeah. and adapting a process that will work for them as individuals. Yeah, you, you said it right. Like it's it's... It's, it, it is something that is not practiced enough, but it's preached somewhat, right? And like I, get, like I said again, you know, put in that, that square peg into the round hole, it yeah. just won't work. You're expecting the people to fit into what your construct of things, your expectations yes. of things. And they're going through their own struggles. They, yeah. they can't appreciate that for many reasons. And especially if you've been, you know, if, if you're in a long-standing conflict, for instance, or if you've been the person who's called you know, the police on your neighbor 15 times and they say they can't do anything. The 16th time might be the time that you're the most unresponsive and then things could go really bad for you, <laughs> right? With, within, the, within the constraints of, of those traditional methods of resolving conflict. Yes. Right. There was a situation, I recall. <clears throat> it was, it's the most profound one in my community mediation days. It mm -hmm. didn't happen in the catchment area of mine. It happened in... Uh, Scarborough area, mm -hmm. that it was a neighbor matter, and the police had responded a few times, yet nothing productive happened from it. Mm -hmm. So what ended up happening is that one of the neighbors ended up taking a cleaver, mm. and the other neighbor ended up losing a hand. Shoot. And so it became the criminal yeah. behavior. It also left such a profound traumatic impact on yeah. another person yeah. and the, even the person who did that yeah to the other person so how, how do you see these processes being inclusive of people or not um which processes the the traditional one traditional pro i think yeah i think what I realize, so by saying inclusive, I think is an implication that it is there is a diversity, right? And that there might be a diversity problem. And I am almost convinced that there is not a diversity problem, there is a culture problem. So how do you distinguish when you say culture, just for the benefit so if, of the listeners? Yes, yeah, for sure. If, if there's a diversity problem, that means the solution is that you hire more diverse people, right? Okay. And I've worked with the... You know, I've, I've volunteered and worked with um, my regional police services uh, or previous regional police services, you know, to, to try and attract talent that is diverse, right? Attract people from the black community, you know, like, 
you know, lesbian, gay, like LGBTQ community and, and those kind of things. And then I've also talked to officers who've been there or from those communities and they also feel ostracized within the force, right? So then it can't be a diversity problem, it, you know, because if there is, if, if there must be something bigger, right? And I like to use an analogy, like if you go to a company, a company can hire good people, but if it has bad culture, then eventually those good people might become corrupted, right? Or if the culture is not um, willing to embrace the good people that they bring in, right, and allow them to utilize their talents and their perspectives, their skills to the highest levels that they can, how effective is that? So that, company? you know, that's where it's tokenism in some way and systemic yeah. barriers and yeah. it's deeper rooted that's and it's about mindset per se. Yes. So like, you know, in many cases you'd see someone get pr promoted and you're like, oh, that's awesome that they're promoting this individual. You talk to people who, <laughs> who work there and they're like, no, this person is promoted. It might be more strategic as an, an appearance, right? It's it's cosmetic, yeah, and not it's more performative than actual change. Substantive, yeah, yeah. It's not addressing the fundamentals mm -hmm. of the. And I only know this because I volunteered. I know people in the community because of the community work I've done. But in, you know, and you know this as well through your those your experiences, right? Over the many many years that you've you've kind of covered these community based situations and issues mm-hmm yeah yeah my two core principles or values are inclusivity and diversity I'll write that down Just you take your own <laughs> I'll take notes if you <laughs> uh, we got we I appreciate it anyways so <laughs> and see I couldn't have this kind of rapport or banter the same way on the phone no no it was as much as I enjoyed that conversation it was um it was, it's tough. Like, you can't see the nonverbal cues through your plexiglass. Like, yeah. it's just, it's hard, right? You know? We can feed off of each other's nonverbal stuff. Exactly. As well, to complement our verbal. What What does community-based mediation mean to you? To me, it is a way to resolve disputes uh, between individuals who are close relation to each other. Um, and, and that could be neighbors. We talked about a little, about, a little bit about neighbors uh, just a while ago. It could be workplace. It could be school. Uh, landlord tenants, that's a huge, 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 huge issue right now. Um, housing matters. Yeah. Housing uh, issues. Oof. So it's, it's, it's a myriad of issues that can be resolved by individuals who want to help others. Individuals mean mediators who try to assist others resolve disputes that are within their environments that they're most commonly in. With the exception of family, which is, which we know as like, you know, divorce and separation well on a technical level i will still say when at the cms the year downsview yeah still dealt with family stuff yeah i mean there are like i i did get someone who inquired about a like it was asking me about uh doing a family conflict resolution style mm -hmm. conversation with their parent right? yeah and i was like oh that's pretty interesting but yes yeah. and we totally did that and as i think generally that's that's what you think of when you think family but i you think Look, take inside thing, baseball a little bit it's just more yeah, like well, those are the traditional views <laughs> yeah. of things and i i say in in many ways my experience with community-based mediation mm -hmm. is more profound than the systemic realities of mediation delivery mm. their constructs are very rigid formal and limited in terms of what can we do and what what would be possible to do mm -hmm. so 
it was much more family a community mediation is more progressive yeah we did a lot of what's called parent youth mediation mm. so bringing together parents and their their uh, children yeah their youths their youth <laughs> and having the conversations about some of the struggles that they're going through in that family dynamic mm-hmm. bringing together families also where there's concerns about the elder care of somebody yeah so as an aging parent mm-hmm. and then there's siblings and how do we have those conversations about how to care for the aging parent? Yeah. So there can be a lot of opportunity yeah. that traditionally is only seen through the construct of the system. Yeah. Whereas in the community-based approach, so the much. construct is so much more yeah. open-minded and open-ended. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's a lot that falls under that. Um. So what would you? Uh, so what's the connection? When I say the words social services, community-based approaches, mm-hmm. conflict, and community, I think the connection usually is it's a nonprofit. <laughs> I think there's there's anyone who's ever been a part of any nonprofit organizations or charities, they know that one of the biggest issues that you face is funding, right? And you're, you're almost always in this constant motion of okay, we need to get money. How do we get money? And, and, and it's normally like fundraising, 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 yeah. grant application, grant application, grant application, yeah. right? So it's this, and it's a catch-22 sometimes when if you receive funding from, um, let's say you have a, a, a big donor or something, anytime you receive like some public funding, it could be a grant, then the studies have shown that you stop receiving donations, Right. Because some people might think, oh, they, they're, they're good now. I'm just going to, like, you know, donate my money somewhere else, right? So that there's that, there's that image problem that they have. So I think that connection between getting these organizations the funds that they need to not just carry out the services that they're good at, but also so they don't have to spend so much time to fundraise. And thirdly, that they can retain the skilled individuals who are carrying out those services and even attracts individuals who have different types of skill set. It might not be in a social services skill set, but the skill set might be more business administration. These days now it's like social media, like people are trying to like find social media individuals and they're not always the same. They don't always come or inhabit the same individual. Right. So. And, and one of the other things of grants which are great opportunities is the timeline yeah. grants are uh, are realities for a certain time yeah. one year grant two year grant three year grant yeah. and so then you create this project action plan and you deliver the project to mm-hmm. the community members and you get them involved in whatever purpose and mandate the project is about yeah and then the funding stops because the grant stops. Yeah. So what happens to those people you've assisted? What happens to those people you haven't yet assisted? That's the biggest problem with grants. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's not very easy. I've, I've been part of the process of writing them and I've been, I've been hired through grants and then the grant stops and then I've, I'm, I'm back. You're in the out un- of a job, right? I'm back in the unemployment line, right? So it's, <laughs> you, you, you see those, you see those trends that happened, that happen. But then, you know, I guess the question becomes, what if there was a different way? Like, you know, let's get out of the, con- the confines of the pool and now let's get into the lake. What if there was other methods of funding 
that would allow you to continue those community-based mediations that deal with prevention, that deal with healing, that deal with um, relationship building. What if you could do those things? So what, what, do you, what would you like to see with regard to the uh, different template for the kind of model of delivery? Yeah, so one of the things I, I you know, and I'm not an, I don't have all the answers. I'll, I'll, I'll start by saying this, the preface this conversation, but I used to always think, and if we could do referrals, right? Like if there were, there was a way or a referral model where for every time you get a call from the dispatch, one now one dispatch to say there's this issue that does not require services of the police, can we dispatch community mediators there, right? And it's rectified, right? You're saving time, money, like, you know, how about we allocate something now to that community service, right? Because it's all taxpayer dollars, right? Another one is to streamline taxpayer dollars more directly to some of these services, right? So you can have an organization that is that has the roster, and it could be the parent organization to multiple organizations. Whatever you can, you can, you can organize that however you like. But if there was a way to still to to get some of those funds. Right, that benefits all of us, right? That we're all paying for through taxes to go directly to those social services that are dealing with the improvement of quality of life that we all have and we share. Could we do that? So, was that presented as a hypothetical question or you provoking that could we do that when in fact you probably know you could do that? It's just, is there the will to do that? I, I, I mean, I mean, I, I think. I dare say we could do that, Greg. What, what's okay? The better question, I guess, is what's stopping us from do, doing that? Or another way of framing it is: mm. Why does this template continue the way it is, the traditional model? So, the stakeholders. I think there are some stakeholders who are proponents of the the, the current model, and that's that's okay. We always, you know, any status quo, you can find people who benefit from the status quo, right? And it could be a fault of where the system is set up. For instance, you really there is a streamline of of lawyers that become politicians, that become judges, that law, that make laws. That self interest yeah. reinforcing that so, whole. So you come from that arena, right? As, as a lawmaker, as as a you know as a policymaker, mm-hmm. it is much. You're much more likely when you're trying to find solutions to those problems. You're going back to that pool that you came from as opposed to exploring options outside of it. And some people do, like you said, there was the one, you know, and, and put, you know, in the lawmaker arena. So there's that one officer who liked the idea of, of getting those services that you had, right? But it's to convince those above him who respond or are, like, they, they the people that they answer to are completely different. They answer to sometimes, like, you know, politicians, and they answer, who answer to the public. Yeah. Right, so I think we're having this conversation now, which is good, so that the public knows that, you know, let's start let's start putting some of that, let's start advocating for this, let's start asking for this now to our, to our politicians and the people that we elect and we vote. And, for. and some people would say that we've been advocating for this for years. Mm. It's just it's fallen on deaf ears. Mm. People who have not been open-minded yeah. to the possibility of rejigging, reworking the traditional approach of doing social services yeah and the delivery of those to the community yeah it's i think we 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 i was reading this article the other day that said we kind of plateaued 
in our progressiveness as you know, North America because there was these oh they're talking about like overall economic productivity and they realized that you know especially after the industrial revolution I think one of the biggest things that drove productivity was diversity right by having an inclusion by having people uh, especially women and, and and black and brown and you know people from um, outside of Europe so the, tr the traditional <laughs> the white, traditional, yeah, white yeah. male centric English speaking world yes but so by having all those people join the labor force and the workforce what happened is you had individuals optimizing their potential now right so by doing that they were creating um, generational wealth you know and then they were you know improving situations um, economically like as, as a country we grew and then we kind of plateaued, right? We had the, you know, um, people who were able to vote, who weren't able to vote before, people who were able to active, you know, in the work class. But then next level would have been and should be, like, having childcare for women, right? Well, not just women for, for us all, but having childcare. And that would allow more women to be active in the workforce, right? And, which would further, hypothetically, they're saying that would further another level of productivity in the economy, but I think we've come, we've come to, we kind of came to this area where we're like, okay, all these policies and laws that we made to kind of, you know, in, in be inclusive. Let's let's just stop here. Let's <laughs> not. There's a limit to it. Yeah, let's not try and dismantle some more systems of systemic other racism, sexism, etc. People just don't like change because they get comfortable. They've learned a way to cope with their 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 manner of practice. Yeah. Their societal beliefs and practices and to provoke that to agitate that mm -hmm. is somewhat disruptive i think we don't like change when we think that change is taking something away from us when we're going to lose something yeah. and that, that goes back to our earlier point mm -hmm. where we see it as a loss yeah it's a, a barrier mm -hmm. the difference rather than reframing it and looking at the same thing through a different lens yeah. mindset of opportunity yeah like okay, so if you're a person again like who you don't want to deal with mental health calls and, and those kind of things instead of training officers who may not i'm not saying all don't right but if, if you have some who don't want to deal with some of those issues you will have some don't want to deal with like neighborhood disputes or um you know then how about utilize other services who really want to deal with those things right i think that that will be the best the best solution or well, one of them one of the solutions you're a mediator right so we think about we think about all the different solutions all the possibilities all the different possibilities for a, a mediated or best solution right yeah to provoke people to think from what they believe to be to mm -hmm. see what they possibly could be yeah. to then see how we could you know adapt to that and then make possibly that happen yeah so how do you see some of the conversation with us saying, hey, there needs to be a reconfiguration of how we traditionally see dealing with negative conflict, conflict, social services, and that construct? How do you see that point being somewhat better heard, resonating? You know what? Five years ago, if we are having this conversation, I would say we're just very, uh, we're just very creative uh, open-minded uh, quixotic individuals but I think more now especially as time has changed and we've gone to a place in society where we're asking these questions right I oh. think there's at least that language and there's an infrastructure now that that's able to 
um, make some of these changes happen and make them possible. So the door in some way has been pried open a little bit more maybe. It's, it's you know what, the door has been, has been kind of creaked a little mm -hmm. bit. Like there's, you can see a bit of light in there. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, I think it's, it's, we just have to find that right spot in the door to kind of, you know, use the, the crowbar and just pry it open. And it's finding out, you know, who are the, the crowbars in, our, in, in the world and who are the people the other side of the door also when we get across who are willing and open to that change. Yeah, and it's not to say, hey, just because you're on the other side of the door that you're against because people don't always do things based on what they want. Mm -hmm. A lot of times, from my experience, people do things based on what they know. Yeah. So if we give them insight and information and we also have them say, hey, you're part of this, mm -hmm. what could you contribute? Yeah. Then there's a higher probability. Yeah, and as citizens, all our part is like, uh, although we may not have power, we have influence, right? And by, by taking, by having this conversation be amplified and also have it, you know, in the right arenas by getting involved in, in your local community um, organizations and governments and, we can have and and, and and you know pet writing petitions, et cetera, et cetera. There's all the different ways that you can become involved, but by doing those things, you kind of create an influence now, where it's more likely you're going to be heard. Mm hmm Yeah, we got to keep from the, the people who have power. <laughs> well, the people who are big, been given that or yeah. deemed to have the authority to make those decisions. Yeah. So we have to, we have to close out. We do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for coming in and chilling with me no and problem. having this conversation. Yeah, it was cool. And sharing. And, not, uh, not so bad. Thanks for that, uh, too. <laughs> I appreciate that. Uh. <laughs> Thank you to the listeners uh, over the years who've, who've tolerated me and, and Greg's banter a little bit. And, and look, you know, yeah. banter's part of the, I think, the engagement. Is it? That's here. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So thank you for coming. Awesome. And we'll see you no again soon. Thanks for having me. All right. You've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA. 1610 AM.